There is no one-fit-all solution for ADHD brains. We really need to be self-aware and to understand the way we work because people with ADHD can be so different from one another and that's really something that I see every day with my community. I love to see the differences. We are not defined by ADHD, it's just something that impacts almost every second of our lives. Welcome to the Beautifully Complex podcast, where I share insights and strategies on parenting neurodivergent kids straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, and mindset mama honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Beautifully Complex podcast. I am really excited today to have Alice Gendron with me, who is online, the mini ADHD coach, and also has a book coming out from the same title. And we're going to talk ADHD, misconceptions, how the ADHD brain works, and get to know Alice's story as well. First, though, before we jump in, Alice, will you introduce yourself? Let everybody know who you are and what you do. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always super excited to talk about uh, ADHD. And uh, yeah, so as you said, I am the mini ADHD coach online. I'm mainly on Instagram, but uh, I also have a website and a YouTube channel now that uh, we are trying to set up. And uh, yeah, I like to trying to make complex ideas about ADHD really simple and uh, really accessible to anyone so we can better understand ourselves and also so that uh, the people that know us and don't have ADHD uh, get a better understanding of how our brain works too. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's so misunderstood among the, uh, the general public. People who don't know someone with ADHD or don't study ADHD, and there's a lot of misconceptions out there about that. And so I would love to talk about that too, but I want to first start maybe just by telling a little bit about your story and your journey to diagnosis. Yeah, so I was diagnosed a bit more than three years ago. I think it's four already when I was uh, 29. And um, before that, I lived with doubts about maybe I had ADHD or not uh, for months. So it was a really difficult time of my life. And then I finally found the strength to ask for... um, an assessment, and I waited for the assessment because oftentimes, you know, you have to wait a bit. Mm-hmm. And I was diagnosed almost right away. And it was really a relief just on the moment I was diagnosed. But then I had to go through a lot of different emotions that I was definitely not prepared to face yeah. sadness and anger and frustration and doubt again, <laughs> yeah. which was quite surprising because when you are just doubting everything before your diagnosis, you imagine that after the diagnosis, you will be so certain of everything and you're still not really after the diagnosis. And there was a lot of imposter syndrome and and a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in this really dark place, I can say after my diagnosis, I decided to simply share a few doodles about ADHD and just about what I was going through on Instagram 
I really wanted to connect with other people. I just felt so lonely and something quite amazing happened. And uh, I connected yeah. with a lot of people and a lot of people related to what I was sharing. And um, yeah, almost uh, three years later, we have a wonderful community and I feel so blessed to experiencing this. Mm. Yeah, that community is so important because I think it can be so isolating when you're dealing with differences, especially before a diagnosis and you don't understand what's going on and you think somehow it's just you. I think so many of the parents listening can hear some of that within maybe their own story because we know often it runs in families, but also understanding their kids a little better and what they're really facing, those emotions that they're going through based on their experiences. Do you want to talk a little bit first about some misconceptions around ADHD, things that have maybe come up for you or that you notice a lot of people struggle with? Yeah, so when you are diagnosed at 29 and, um, you know, I wasn't removed from the ability to be diagnosed because I was seeing psychiatrists and therapists, you know, I saw a lot of them all my life because I was struggling with many things. And you notice that there must be really strong misconception and even among people who are professionals, because mm-hmm. why would they miss you? And they miss so many people and especially women and especially young girls. And um, yeah, it's quite sad to notice that uh, so many people just are that unnoticed by mental health professionals, but I think we are getting better. Mm-hmm. So the really common misconception, I would say, the ones that I experienced were, for example, doing okay at school, mm-hmm. you know, not struggling so much. I reread my school reports uh, when I was preparing for my assessment and I I saw that a lot of teachers were mentioning that I had trouble to focus and stay focused on the class. But uh, at the same time, you know, my grades were okay. Some years they were really good. Some years they were just okay. And so I wasn't really attracting attention with this, right? you know, because if you have good grades or almost good grades and, you know, teachers were noticing also that I wasn't really making efforts. So they are not really concerned about me. <laughs> not not that much. <laughs> so I would say that, yeah, there, there is this big misconception. And when I talk about it on Instagram, a lot of people relate. A lot of people send me messages telling me I relate to ADHD symptoms and I talk to my psychiatrist about it. But uh, they say, oh, it's okay. No, you have a degree, for example. <laughs> so you can't have ADHD if you have a degree. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, big misconception here, especially I think girls are quite good at being good students, even though they are struggling. So there is something to be aware of here. And also something very important too is how hyperactivity can express itself. So we often have this idea of a young kid with ADHD who run around all day, uh, really busy, really loud. And Mm -hmm. of course, it's the case sometimes. We won't say otherwise, but sometimes ADHD is also just quiet girls, hyper-focusing on the book, just doing their things and daydreaming all day. So we have to be really mindful of the different way it can uh, really express itself. And there are different types of ADHD too. So 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say those are two big misconceptions that hyperactivity is just physical, where it can be internal and mental. Yeah. And that uh, people with ADHD are always struggling with uh, academics and school, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that there's other forces too that sometimes help you to get by in school, maybe anxiety and fear of getting in trouble or getting bad grades can help to sort of get you to the point where you just kind of get by, right? It sounds like what you're saying is you were getting by. Mm -hmm. Other kids were maybe having more outward struggles and yours was more internal a little bit, at least to the people around you. I love that you brought up that hyperactivity can be internal Mm. because I think that that is another misconception. I certainly had the little boy that was super hyper and running around and bouncing off the walls. So it was very clear, Mm. right, that something was going on there. But a lot of people with ADHD, their brain is moving really fast, right? Things are maybe bouncing around in there, but maybe not on the outside. And, you know, my son is about to turn 21 now. He doesn't run around and jump around and he's not that same hyperactive on the outside, but we talk all the time about how he's still pretty hyperactive on the inside, right? Mm. His mind and his spirit are sort of still really fast paced. Mm. And I think it's something that a lot of times the adults in kids' lives don't recognize. Like you said, they have good grades, they get by, or you know, they're not outwardly causing trouble. And we don't tend to focus on that. But really, if a kid is showing any symptom of struggle, any sign of struggle, that should be something that we're asking questions and looking into, right? Yeah, definitely. You're completely right saying that, you know, anxiety can help in a way (laughs) to get Mm -hmm. good grades. And uh, I remember, for example, when I was 10, my general practitioner for just, you know, a routine medical check and he asked me if you know everything was okay with life and school and I remember telling him that I was stressed (laughs) and Mm. he looked at me with a smile and he told me you cannot be stressed at 10 years old you know so okay (laughs) thank you for that but yeah it was really an expression of something was going on I think I was masking a lot and hiding Mm -hmm. my struggles because you know, you can still want to be a good kid for your parents and just seem like you can manage and you don't Mm -hmm. want to maybe cause trouble. So, and especially for girls, I think we need to be really aware of the way that sometimes when they have ADHD, they can seem really mature, seem really, Mm -hmm. you know, like they are grown up already. And uh, I think we really need to be mindful and, you know, it's not the case. They just seem like they are and it's dangerous to maybe treat them like they are that mature Mm -hmm. when they are not. And there's a real difference between the way we expect boys to act and the way we expect girls to act. And girls are expected to be more mature. And so I think when you're struggling, you're still putting on that mask of trying to meet that expectation. And then you fall through the cracks because on the surface, you seem to be doing okay. Yeah, And I think that that is a major difference between recognizing and diagnosing ADHD in girls earlier is just that a lot of times they're masking to meet that societal expectation of the way girls act. 
And we miss the fact that like you were stressed, you were telling your physician, I'm really stressed at age 10. And unfortunately, they blew that off when really that was a signal, right? That you were working extra hard and you were extra stressed to try to meet expectations because you had something else going on that was making it hard for you. Mm. It's really sad that we're so dismissive, but I think that's part of ADHD and the fact that we still don't understand it in the general public. But we're all working on trying to change that, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> in your book, I know will go a long way and your work on Instagram, you know, you're reaching a lot of people and that's a really powerful thing to start to move the needle and change these misconceptions. Do you want to talk a little bit about how the ADHD brain works? Like what you've learned about your own brain and the ways that maybe you've learned to accommodate or shift how you do some things to take into account how your brain works and being able to use that maybe to your advantage sometimes. Yeah, so I think what's important, what I really finally understood is that there is no one fetal solution for ADHD brains. Mm. We really need to be self-aware and to understand the way we work because people with ADHD can be so different from one another. And that's really something that I I see every day with my community. I love to see the differences because I think, you know, we are not defined by ADHD. It's just something that impacts almost every second of our life. So it's really important. Mm. But at the same time, we are also really complex individuals with personality and, and likes and different goals in life. So, yeah, I think it's really important to learn to learn more about yourself, about your brain. And this is really an ongoing work, you know, because I've gave a lot of advices in the book that are, you know, really simple key concepts that I think can work for a lot of people using music, for example, to help focus because I think it's a really powerful thing or using checklist because, you know, you don't have to rewrite your to-do list if you have a recurring task. And it's just simple things, but I find myself almost every day noticing that I'm failing at using the advice I recommend in the book, you know, and I'm just, right. I'm just trying super hard to do something and I'm just, you know, I'm noticing why don't I just use <laughs> the advice I give in the book. And the first advice I give in the hack section of the book is work smarter, not harder. And I think it's really that mindset that we need to really embrace Mm -hmm. and I'm still working on it uh, really hard because yeah if you spend 29 years of your life working hard and working against your brain it it can be difficult to learn how to go with your flow and understand you know that you don't have to have this violent approach to work and productivity you can learn to use the way your brain is working to your advantage But for that, you need to understand how your brain is working. And ADHD brains are are still complex and we still don't really understand everything. But we know that we are really Mm interest-based. We are really fun-based. You know, we need to have fun and find pleasure in what we do and have curiosity. And so um, I think if we can manage to adapt everything that we need to do every day to function 
and to make everything just go easier and smoother, we can really have a much easier experience of life. And I think that's a goal. And we need to remind ourselves that we don't have to just try harder and, you know, just do more and do things in the hard way. We need to really find the peaceful way to do things, I think. But mm -hmm. yeah, so I think this mindset change is at the core of everything. And then you can give advices like music checklist and everything. But if you don't change this mindset, nothing will really stick. But at the same time, when you have a late diagnosis, it's hard to change this mindset. So if you have ADHD kids, the good news is that you can help them learn that from their young years. And if my parents were aware that I had ADHD, maybe they would have changed the way they had expectation of me or, or the way mm -hmm. that they forced me to do things sometimes. So, right, and right. so, yeah, I think with the kids, the good thing is that if you understand how their brain works, you can really give them some peacefulness for that. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And what you're talking about, I think, is really open-mindedness to the way that people do things and function and learn and just being okay with your child doing things differently yeah, or you yourself being okay with doing things differently. We talk a lot here to parents and educators about being really creative and thinking outside of the box because mm. you have a kid who doesn't fit in the box. Yeah. <laughs> you must do things differently. And that mindset piece is the biggest piece of it really for parenting too, is changing your beliefs, but also just kind of saying, okay, if we're not going to do things in a traditional way, it's totally okay. It's okay to do it differently. What works better? What struck me while you were talking, and I don't know which expert to attribute this to, I can't remember who originally said it, but they talk about ADHD and you know what to do, but it's about execution mm. and being able to do it. That is the hard part. So you know that a checklist might help you, <laughs> but remembering to use the checklist, being organized enough to use the checklist, right, is hard. And that's part of the challenge. And that's always stuck with me for a long time, that idea that it's not that you don't know what to do mm. when you have ADHD, it's that you just struggle to get it done. Yeah, It's sort of this dysfunction of execution almost mm. in a lot of ways, which is your executive functioning, right? And yeah. we know that executive functioning skills are often lagging with ADHD. And so I just kind of tied a bow around that for me when you were talking about that, that that really makes a lot of sense that as parents, we can give you checklists, we can give you a calendar in school, we can give you all these things, we can tell you how to use it, but that may still not be what you need, mm. right? And we make assumptions, I think, as adults about what kids with differences need, we don't ask. <laughs> mm. You know, I think part of what you're expressing here is that people need to ask what you need when you're struggling, whether you're a kid or an adult, what is it that might make this more doable for you is a big, big piece of the puzzle. Would you agree with that? Yeah, completely. And we need also to help children to ask themselves what's could help them. Because if you ask just a kid about 
what could help, maybe they won't know. But if you mm -hmm. make it a habit of self-awareness and, you know, just having this habit of asking himself or herself, what could help me right now? And trying to have this view of themselves and trying to find the solutions. I think that will really help them when they're adults too, because that's sometimes the thing that we really miss. I think, you know, we are so used to do the thing the way people are telling us that mm -hmm. we should do things, that it's hard sometimes to just find the strength to say, no, I, I cannot do things this way. And if I try, it will be harder for me. So just let me do the thing my way. I know myself because I, I've tried things. And so I think that's another part of it is allowing yourself or your kid to try, try things. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if it's not working. If it's not working, you will learn from it. And that's something I say in the book again. I give a lot of tools and advice, but just try what you want. And if it doesn't stick, if it doesn't work for you, just let it go. Maybe try another time later in six months. But as you said, be creative. Think outside the box and just, it's okay if something doesn't work for you. And it's okay also if something weird <laughs> works for you. Uh, <laughs> We don't have to be uh, the same. And I think, yeah, it can be difficult also for parents because you have, you know, this fear to be judged. And if your kid is doing something, but in a way that is unconventional, it can be a bit confusing for parents too, because mm -hmm. we sometimes just want to be this picture of perfect motherhood. But we really need to learn to get rid of this mental weight of expectations and then and break free. Yeah. Changing those expectations based on the individual is so monumentally important. And I think that's how we help kids and adults to feel seen and heard and understood. When we're trying to force people to be something they're not, it can cause a lot of damage. <laughs> you know, it's not just that maybe they don't do so well in school. There's a lot of repercussions to that. There's a lot of internalization, I think, of blame and shame and emotion yeah. that can be really, really lifelong struggle when that starts in childhood. So, you know, I think that so much of what you're talking about here is really important for parents to take on as early as possible and educators as well, being just really open to doing things differently. Yeah. I think it really boils down to that, like be open to allow kids to do things differently. And wouldn't that be great for every kid? Yeah. <laughs> like it's not just for kids with ADHD or autism or anything else. Like that should be great for every kid. We should be more open to creativity and individuality. Mm, completely. Anything else you want to add before we close? Of course, we want to mention your book again, The Mini ADHD Coach. And by the time this episode airs, I believe it will be available in the United States as well. And I will have a link for everyone in the show notes for that. Thank you. And those show notes are at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 236 for episode 236. Anything else you wanted to add, Alice? Yeah, just um, I think what's really important is to try to understand 
how kids work and how people work and give them these habits of understanding themselves and be kind to themselves as young kids is a great gift for their ADHD adult self of the future. Because as you said, there is a lot of shame and self-esteem is really a big issue among the ADHD community. We see a lot of adults really struggling and uh, in really dark places sometimes. And uh, for me, it's, it's a really important topic. And uh, mm -hmm. as parents, we really have this responsibility to help them develop this habit and this culture of really make peace with our brain and with mm -hmm. themselves. And, and then I hope that the next generation of adults with ADHD will struggle less with self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really wish that we get that for the future. Make peace with your brain. I love that. Be okay with who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Alice, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure thank to, you. to talk to you. And we really appreciate you sharing your story and the work that you're doing to help people understand ADHD is so powerful. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you. And I will see everyone on the next episode. Take good care. Thanks for joining me on the Beautifully Complex podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses and parent coaching at parentingadhdandautism.com and at thebehaviorrevolution.com. 